there's no doubt that the old politics of the two-party system is now gone and over. I don't need lectures from you or anybody on, on the Sinn Féin side of the house. We're very reluctant to kind of say what's red lines, but, but we do have to take climate seriously. There's going to be constant criticism, there's going to be a lot of disappointment, and whoever goes into government is going to be unpopular. Okay. Hello, I'm Anya Lawler, and welcome to a winter solstice, your politics. And I know the earth this broke up for Christmas last week, but it had been hoped that there would be one other big event that would round out uh, the political year. And that would have been, could have been, uh, the return to power sharing at Stormont. But this is one Christmas wish that's not coming true in 2023. Um our colleague, our Northern editor, Vincent Kearney, has an excellent and rather depressing blog about it all on the RTE website. And he joins us now uh, to talk about what didn't happen, really. Uh, Vincent, all the choreography, as you're writing, all of that choreography was in place. So maybe you'd start by telling us what could have, what should have happened. Well, what should have happened, but what certainly the British government had um, steeped a lot of political capital on happening is that the Stormont Assembly would have met on Tuesday. Um, they believed, they were quite confident that the Stormont Assembly would have been reconvened on Tuesday morning, uh, that they would have almost called it a hunt system to appoint ministers, a first minister, deputy first minister, and then departmental ministers, that Michelle O'Neill would finally have been able to give her first press conference as actual first minister rather than first minister designate, uh, standing alongside a, a new Deputy First Minister, possibly Emma Little-Pengelly um, of the DUP. Uh, while that was happening, at the same time, legislation would be rushed through the House of Commons before it went on Christmas recess. Uh, that legislation, uh, we're told, would have addressed DUP concerns about the Windsor framework, uh, the post-Brexit trade deal, its concerns about what the DUP has called the Irish Sea border. Uh, the legislation would have reinforced and we're told strengthened Northern Ireland's position within the UK internal market and would have also given assurances about Northern Ireland's constitutional position. Uh, so those two things were, were to have happened simultaneously. Now, on your four months here, uh, rival, uh, rivals to the DUP and other parties were saying they believed it would jump before Christmas, it would go back into power sharing. That speculation reached fever pitch in the past week or two. There was huge pressure applied to the DUP uh, and others were being briefed. Um, Sinn Féin mm-hmm. was certainly expecting um, Geoffrey Donaldson to go back in. We know Michal Martin, the Tonist, the Minister for Foreign Affairs, he, he told his parliamentary party just last week he believed that a deal was just days away. And he said that on you after speaking by telephone to Geoffrey Donaldson. Now, I don't think Geoffrey Donaldson said to anyone, look, I am definitely going back in and this is the day it's happening. But in, in conversations with Michal Martin, in conversations with Mary Lou MacDonald and Michelle O'Neill and others, he gave the firm impression that what he had got, whatever uh, deal on the Windsor framework he had managed to get from the British government, he believed was a good deal. Mm-hmm. And he gave the impression that he thought it was good enough to go back into power sharing. So everyone thought that would happen, that the final pieces of the jigsaw would fall in place over the weekend. And that on Tuesday, what people said thought would have been a political miracle for Christmas would have happened. And today we'd be sitting talking about a new Stormont executive. So everyone, everything was ready apart from the DUP. Do we know what went wrong? No one's quite certain, but there was a party officer meeting last Friday 
12 strong party officers, including Geoffrey Donaldson. Uh, now, when news of this uh, uh, meeting taking place emerged, that speculation went up another level. It escalated. There, there was a, a lot of frenzied speculation uh, among some media that a deal was imminent. Now, throughout the process, only I've been speaking to a number of, of sort of well-placed, long-standing DUP sources, and they've been saying to me, look, people are still getting too excited to, you know, uh, a phrase used, you know, calm the jets, they need to wind their necks in. That, that, that was a message which was coming through from some of those sources, and they were telling me that that party officer meeting on Friday was was not going to be critical, uh, that there was not going to be a vote taken. And those same sources have been telling me for several weeks they believed if there's going to be movement, it was going to be after Christmas. So there's clearly a disjoint here because Geoffrey Donaldson was giving people, senior people, uh, Irish government, British government and other parties uh, in Northern Ireland, the clear impression that um, he was ready to move, but others within the DUP did not think that was the case. Now, why was that? I think it simply comes down to the fact that he didn't have the numbers. Now, we know that the 12 party officers met on Friday. Mm -hmm. The DUP were so sensitive about what some members might say or not say. Uh, the location was kept secret. No one found out where it was. There were no TV cameras present, no reporters and no questions asked. Now, I'm told at the time, if Jeffrey Donaldson had put this deal to a vote, at best, he would have secured an 8-4 majority. Others said the more likely outcome was a 7-5 majority, or in one case, 6 in favour, 5 against, and 1 abstention. Now, those numbers, with only half the party officer team in favour of a deal, would have sparked an absolute and immediate crisis within the DUP because Geoffrey Donaldson has also given assurances that the DUP's wider executive of over 100 members will have the final sign-off on any deal. So I think so some party members said the reason it wasn't put to a vote was because Geoffrey Donaldson has, has been good at reading the room. So what he did on Friday was he briefed people on what he had so far. He briefed them on what he thought was a good deal. And we can only assume that the feedback he got from the party officer team was, well, that might be a good deal, but it's not good enough. Uh, yeah, I suppose reading the room or leading from behind, I mean, an awful lot... An awful lot of work has gone in behind the scenes, hasn't there, into putting this deal uh, together and into bringing the DUP on side to try and get Stormont back working. There was a big sweetener, wasn't there? A huge big pile of money from both governments that was going to be part of this return to power sharing. That's right, Anya. The biggest pot of money, I mean, the British government last week said they were offering two and a half billion. Now, politicians in Northern Ireland, well, politicians everywhere, they always know that an opening offer from the government is not actually a final offer. So they all expected to, that offer to go up. Now, there was speculation over the weekend that perhaps the British government wouldn't increase the offer because the DUP hadn't given the firm commitment to go back in. But they did. On Monday, uh, on Tuesday, they announced it was increased to £3.3 billion pounds including almost 600 million to settle public sector pay deals. Now, that was clearly aimed to put a huge pressure on the mm -hmm. DUP because the previous week on you, when they arrived up to these talks in the hills where public sector union workers were outside with placards, they were chanting, get back to work sort our pay. Um, they made it very clear that they, they laid the blame at the foot of MLA's January, but in particular the DUP and, and Geoffrey Donaldson was harangued a little by, by some union members as he went in. So the government were deliberately trying to put as much financial pressure on the DUP as possible to jump. But they didn't. Now, now, the government had thought that they might get the DUP over the line, but on Monday morning, a senior DUP source um, briefed the, the media. Uh, the BBC were told, RT News were told, that 
that there would be no deal before Christmas. Now, I'm told the reaction within the Northern Ireland office was one of absolute fury. And I told Darlene Street was also furious as well when they were told that news. As I said on you, I've been getting these messages for several mm-hmm. weeks that perhaps a deal wasn't going to happen before Christmas. But the British government for whatever reason, because based on its, its long-standing negotiation with the DUP team, they still believe they had a chance of getting it over the line. So when the DUP put out a senior spokesperson to say no deal before Christmas, before informing the British government that was the case, and told they were furious. And that's why on Tuesday then Chris Heaton-Harris went public and said the talks and the Windsor framework are over. They are finished. Now, if you remember about a week and a half, two weeks ago, Sinn Féin had publicly claimed They've been told by the British government those Windsor framework discussions were over. Uh, the DUP reacted with anger, said that wasn't the case. And Chris Heaton Harris gave the DUP political cover. He came out and said, No, no, the talks aren't over. We're, we're still talking to the DUP. Mm. Even though, Anya, all the other political parties here believe what Sian Fiena said at the time was right. Well, Chris Heaton Harris effectively threw them under the bus on Tuesday. He said very publicly, he said it inside the room in Hillsborough and he said it outside to the media and he said it more than once. Those Windsor framework negotiations are over. Now that message to the DUP is whatever you've got from the British government and Windsor framework, that's it. You're getting no more. So it's now time to jump. So they're piling more pressure on Jeffrey Tomlinson. So what's the fallout now then, Vincent? Is it really over? Is there a plan? Well, do, do we move well, on to this, you know, much vaunted plan B? Uh, or, you know, really looking at the position that the Tories are in over in the UK, uh, is an early UK election and therefore an early election in Northern Ireland more likely? Uh, th- that's all part of the of the DUP thinking. In terms of whether or not it's over, first of all, the only person who says it's not over is Jeffrey Donaldson. Um, all the other parties heard what was said around the table. Uh, Chris Heaton Harris was very clear. He said all of the negotiations on substantive issues are over. Now afterwards there was definitely a sense on you of the DEP clutching its straws. Uh, one source said to me, well it depends what you mean by substantive. You know, what we regard as substantive may be different to what they regard as substantive. Uh, Jeffrey Donalds was telling other media outlets uh, afterwards in interviews that look, we have been back in there and we are talking and the negotiations are ongoing. Um, a well-placed um, British government source uh, told me um, last night, so Wednesday evening, when I put it to him that Jeffrey Donaldson said talks are ongoing, he said he's pretending they're ongoing. He said, as far as we are concerned, the talks have finished, they are over. <laughs> so I think what we might see over the next week or so is, is Jeffrey Donaldson perhaps going back up to Stormont to seek clarification and the DUP will attempt to sell clarification as negotiation and the British government will, will downplay it. So there will no doubt be some toing and froing behind the scenes. In terms of what happens next, there is another potential deadline approaching. Well, I mean, uh, when I say deadline, deadline to break out. People keep saying there's a red line and we just, we just keep stroking the red lines out. But, but the next one on you is the 18th of January. At that point, Chris Eaton Harris is legally obliged to set the date for a new assembly election if devolution hasn't been restored. No one thinks that's going to happen. Everyone believes he'll simply move that deadline. The problem for him is if he calls an election at that stage, both the DUP and Sinn Féin will go into the trenches, they'll dig their heels in, they'll get more hard line. In fact, the DUP may well say, bring it on, because they'll betray themselves as the hard men of unionism who have faced down the British government, so it actually might do them some good. Um, But there is a scoot of thought that... The, British, the, the next British general election is what is focusing DUP minds. They view Rishi Sunak as very vulnerable. 
they've been saying behind the scenes for some weeks now they were watching very closely the outcome of the Rwanda bill they knew there are critics within his own party um, they they believe that he's hanging on by a thread was one phrase so if you look at it from their point of view um, some within the party are saying look why do we go back into Stormont now why do we agree to go back in and perhaps in two, three, four, five months' time, there's a general election, Rishi Sunak's out, the Tories are out, there's a new Labour government. There's also, of course, a general election here. Um, so the DUP may fare badly in that because as voters, they think, could mm-hmm. publish them for go back into Stormont. Um, so some within the party are saying, let's play this longer, let's watch and see what happens in the UK because some believe that Keir Starmer, the Labour leader, might give cut them a better deal. So there's certainly some within the party are saying hold off. And the problem only that Jeffrey Donaldson has, he's critics on a number of fronts. He has people in the DUP who will never go back into devolution. Some of them just don't want to. Some certainly don't want to ever go back in with Michelle O'Neill as a First Minister. Um, others don't like Jeffrey Donaldson, and that's the bottom line. Jeffrey Donaldson ousted Edwin Putz. Some are still loyal to Edwin mm-hmm. Putz. Some didn't never trusted Jeffrey Donaldson because he was a former Ulster Unionist. So Jeffrey has lots of different camps in the DUP who want to see him feel for different reasons. It's interesting, uh, finally, Vincent, um, the bust of David Trimble was unveiled in Leinster House recently, uh, joining that of John Hume. Um, and, you know, David Trimble, you know, himself and John Hume didn't have the best of personal relationships, but he had courage like John Hume and he had courage to lead his party sometimes in places it didn't want to go in terms of the Good Friday Agreement. Uh, and of course, that agreement led Geoffrey Donaldson to walk out of the Ulster Unionist Party and to join the DUP that he now leads. Many people have been talking about his David Trimble moment, but he hasn't taken it yet. Indeed, and I remember covering those Ulster Unionist Council meetings time and time again, and David Trimble would come out looking absolutely battered and flustered. And for a long time, people thought he would not make the jump, but in the end, he did. As you say, Jeffrey Donaldson left, he walked away, he joined the DUP. Some within the Ulster Unionist Party accused him of running away. And there is a question mark. The other parties will say, look, if you look back at Jeffrey Donaldson's past history, he walked away from the Ulster Unionist Party at a time of difficulty um, because he didn't agree with David Trimble. Well, now he is facing people in the DUP just like him. So there are now DUP, Jeffrey Donaldson's, and at the time Arlene Foster, uh, who see Jeffrey Donaldson as the David Trimble figure. And there are no signs yet at this stage that Jeffrey Donaldson is going to make the jump. He's described as a very much a consensus politician. I'm told that in that party officer team of 12 that Jeffrey doesn't want you know, a majority of 8 to 4. Jeffrey wants 10 to 2 at worst. In fact, the best case scenario for him is agreement across the board. Well, it doesn't appear that he's going to get that. And the, the problem he has on you is that his opponents today will still be his opponents in four weeks' time, in four months' time, and perhaps in a year's time. Um, over the next few weeks, over the Christmas break, if they start to look at this Windsor Framework deal and believe it is over, Jeffrey Donaldson has said it's not good enough to go back into devolution. So unless something dramatic happens and improves it, there's no basis 
for the DUP to go back into devolution at this point, unless Jeffrey grabs the party um, by the back of the neck and says, listen, we need to go in because direct rule from Westminster is not good for us. He has said that in his party conference speech this year and last year. Mm-hmm. He gave warnings about the problems of direct rule from Westminster. The British governments, particularly Conservative governments, have not been good to Northern Ireland. They've, they've overridden them. For, exactly, uh, uh, for example, on the Legacy Bill, on the Irish Language Bill, on abortion rights, he has pointed this out and warned yeah. that Westminster rule would not be good. Particularly, of course, on you, because this time around, it would be Westminster rule with a very strong green tinge because under the, the terms of the Good Friday Agreement, the Irish government would have, would have a consultative role, a, a place at the table. Um, so Geoffrey has a call to make because if power sharing is down for much longer, many here think it might be impossible to resuscitate and revive it. But the problem at this stage, looking at what Geoffrey Donaldson has said and what he set out in the Windsor framework, he doesn't have enough and his critics are aware of that. So Geoffrey himself could be weak. And some people in the DUP long term aren't ruling out a challenge to Geoffrey Donaldson himself. If they believe he has failed to deliver on the Windsor framework, some will say, well then, that means his leadership has failed. And just finally, Vincent, um, in, in terms of the timing of all of this and, and you know, Geoffrey, not all the choreography was set up, it didn't happen. And then, of course, we have the Irish government announcing that they'll be challenging the UK government's troubles, legacy legislation. Is there any connection there, do you think, possibly? Well, now, I would say that the, the, the way you phrase the question means I think you're thinking the same way I am, <laughs> which is... Of course, there's connection. I would say, but there's it's absolutely no coincidence that the Irish government. This is a decision that wasn't taken overnight. The Irish government has known. I would say it's been doing this for some time. Uh, T-shirt Leo Radker, Thomas uh, and Martin were asked about it several times, and they say we're considering it. Legally, they had until the 17th of January to make this call, to make this challenge. They did it the day after talks to revive Stormont collapsed, because. Looking at it from outside, you would think, well, the reason he did that was because during that, those talks, they didn't want to jeopardise the talks because they didn't want to do anything that would mm-hmm. sour relations with the British government and with the British government and the DUP. And certainly any of the observers who watch this closely uh, here were not surprised at all. Well, well actually surprised with the speed with which it happened. But certainly the view was the British, the Irish government would not take that legal challenge while those negotiations to restore Stormont were ongoing because they didn't want to muddy the waters. Uh, and sir, I don't think it's any coincidence or surprise at all that that challenge was initiated the day after those talks to restore Stormont effectively collapsed. Although I do say collapsed for now because after the new year, everyone here, observers, journalists, politicians, they all expect the British government and the DUP to have a, some kind of a run of this again. The problem is no one can quite see where that is because the British government have been absolutely adamant. That statement that Chris Heaton-Harris made about the Windsor framework negotiations being over was came from Downing Street. He actually announced that at the start of the meeting. He said this statement has been cleared by Downing Street. So it, this wasn't Chris Heaton-Harris on a solo run. Mm-hmm. This is a well-thought-out strategy. And also on you, that meeting in Hillsborough uh, Castle on Tuesday, uh, Jeffrey Donaldson and his team were given five minutes' notice that Chris Heaton-Harris was going to say this. I'm told he was shot and angry at the lack of notice. So this this was a, D, a, a British government play. They did this, I think, to put the DUP under as much pressure as they probably could. So it's hard to see how they back away with that. Back away. If you said negotiations are over, then you can't really restart them. 
but Jeffrey Donaldson desperately needs him to restart if he has any chance of persuading hardline members of his party in particular that he can wring more concessions from the British government. Well, as ever, Vincent, uh, thank you for your for your insights. And as I say, um, there's more in, in, in Vincent's blog on the RTE website. Uh, may we wish you a happy Christmas. Somehow I think we'll be talking about this again in 2024. But thanks, Vincent, for now. And for any of you missing your political fix over Christmas, uh, Tommy Meskell is going to be here next week with Higher Education Minister Simon Harris, Labour's Aon O'Reardon and the Examiner's political correspondent Kira Phelan for a spot of political forecasting for 2024. But until then, from everyone on your politics, may we wish you a happy Christmas, a peaceful Christmas, and we'll talk to you again soon. Tom will be here next week. Mm-hmm.